It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 464, 464, Duke Basketball Report podcast coming at you. It is midday, I guess late midday, midday, late midday, something like that. Depends on your time zone, I suppose. You're right, you're right. And look, hey, we got listeners all over the world, so maybe, you know, for some of our listeners, it's probably early in the morning. For Donald Wine, who knows what time it is? He just got back from being over in uh, Qatar for uh, for the World Cup. Anyway, I'm Jason Evans. We are here on a Thursday afternoon East Coast time to talk about the Blue Devils victory over the Ohio State Buckeyes in the final, the end, the last of the ACC Big Ten challenges. Joining me is Sam Klein. You heard him a second ago. How you doing, Sam? Uh, great. I was in Durham yesterday for the game, so that was awesome. Yes, and you will be my go-to guy for talking about this game because you were there in person, but I also must welcome back to the podcast after about a two-week break, Donald Wine, tell the folks what you experienced, Donald. Uh, so, first of all, hi. Welcome back to everyone. Uh, welcome and back to myself. Wait a minute. Donald, happy birthday. Didn't you just turn 40? I just turned 40 yesterday. The The team did not let me down. Both teams didn't let me down. The U.S. didn't let me down on, on the day before, and Duke did not let me down last night. Uh, so, Amen, so brother. Thank you for that. But, uh, yes, and- I was at the World Cup for... Uh, about a week uh, or about a week and a half, I guess. I also spent a couple days in Spain because it was cheaper to fly back through Spain. You know, what was me? I get to spend a couple days with the Spaniards. Um, but yes, I, I am back. I I think I know what time it is. It is very, very late somewhere in the world. And that's where my body is on right now. And to be clear, uh, Donald, you also got a Michigan victory over Ohio State in the football game this weekend. I did. Conv- a, a convincing win. I'm pretty sure you and UNC has not won since I left. I don't think I don't think you've sport anything <laughs> since you left. They haven't won a game that mattered. That's for sure. On the yeah. on the topic of time zones, I am I'm recording this from back in uh, Boston. I have recorded shows. I don't know if I've made this clear on 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 the program, but in the time that Donald has been gone, I have recorded podcasts from. Massachusetts, North Carolina, Florida, Texas, and California. So uh, impressive. I, I also don't know what time it is. I've been in Atlanta. Actually, I went to Washington, D.C. for a few days for, for Thanksgiving. But yes, I'm not nearly as traveled as the two of you. And uh, it, it is time for us to travel our way to Durham for the latest Blue Devil basketball game. Uh, the Duke men defeated the Ohio State Buckeyes, as we mentioned. Uh, in the final game of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the final year of it. Duke wins this game 81-72. to And let's start with Sam. Sam, before we get to, like, the headlines or the good and the bad and all the other kind of stuff, just give me a little bit of the flavor. What was it like being back in Durham? What was it like being at this game? How were the crazies? Give me all that color stuff before we get to our full recap. Absolutely. So it was, first of all, it was great to be back. Uh, this is obviously the first game that any of us have attended this year. Uh, the first game that any of us have attended in the John Shire era. And I can't tell you how many times last night I turned to my friend who I was at the game with and said, I can't believe that John Shire is the coach. <laughs> Cause it, 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 in a way it has hit me because we, we see him on TV every week, but you know, I, I went to the game last night and there was no coach K stuff going on. You know, there's no crazies doing the bowing thing. They don't do the, you know, in his 575th year as the head coach of Duke men's <laughs> basketball. But Mike, it was just in his first year, head coach, John Shire. And so that was, it, it was still jarring. The whole thing is well, still jarring. 
And especially weird for you because you were in school with John Shire. Yeah, I, I like I, I knew John Shire when he was a college student. So this is this is super bizarre for me. However, in a lot of ways, it felt just like Duke basketball. A lot of the same old faces are, are in all the same seats that they're always in at these games, which is one of the the, the charming, funny parts of it. Uh, the, the the same old players are behind sitting behind the bench. Duke had uh, a five star recruit in attendance that that went and I don't know if they they showed this on TV, but he went and stood in oh, the yeah. sections for the last like mm-hmm. six minutes of the game. Which was, they, they showed it on TV, but they never identified him. <laughs> yes, yeah, they so just showed I, him in the crowd. It yeah. was uh, it was uh, Isaiah Newman, Newman, right? Was the yeah, yeah. was the player? Class and of twenty twenty four, small forward. He's a five star, about a top twenty prospect. Yeah, looked kind of skinny, but who doesn't when they're seventeen and six foot whatever? So uh, that was cool. He was he was hyped though. He 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 let him. He let him do the cheering. He, he did the walkover and, and was standing in the middle. He was he was picking up on all the cheers uh, on the topic of the cheers. My favorite thing from last night is that Duke managed to foul out three Ohio State players, which means we got to do my favorite Cameron cheer three times. The see ya. And so I did it with with enthusiasm. Uh, you know, we the crazies were there doing it. They had recruits doing it. So that was cool. And, and the crazies were doing a whiteout yesterday. I was going to um, ask you about this. I the, the you white out that on TV. Yeah. So, so they, all the crazies were wearing white, which I, I've never seen. Uh, we, we had the game many years ago where the crazies all had to wear green uh, for, for some sustainability initiative. I was there was for, for Earth Day. For Earth <laughs> yeah. Day. And, then the the, and then they took the shirts off we, at halftime and threw them on the court. We burned the shirts at halftime. Yes. We, we've yeah. talked about that one before. So the, the whiteout actually looked pretty cool. And I'd say... I'd say that that Cameron was at about 95% of its normal self. There were definitely some empty seats in the upper bowl. Uh, it's clear that they've taken away a few more seats from the crazy section, even in a in a game that was as, as high profile as this one. There were uh, clearly some GA folks standing in section 17. That all being said, it got loud in the second half, and the crazies got into it, and they got the people in the upper bowl up on, up on their feet. They got the crusties up and standing and cheering. So you know what? I'll take it. Pretty, pretty great experience. It is awesome to be at Cameron Indoor. Now on the broadcast, they were mentioning about the whiteout, that it was the first ever whiteout that we've ever done. And I know Coach K didn't like for us to do whiteouts and blueouts. You know, whenever someone asked if that was something he wanted us to do, he would always say no. But I do remember back in the days, this is like the 90s, even the 80s, most people who went to games wore white jerseys or white shirts because back in the day they didn't sell a lot of you know black or obviously or gray. They sold mostly white shirts or maybe blue shirts. So you would see like that took me back to those games that you used to see in the you know late eighties, early nineties at Cameron. So it kind of fed into that uh, you know the the atmosphere that I thought was great last night. At least it sounded like on TV it fed into that because it took, it, it kind of gave me a nostalgic feel of what Cameron used to be. Definitely. And, and uh, yeah, it, it actually did in a way, Donald, I think have a, have a vintage feeling to it. And look, the game we saw on the court last night, if you want to transition to talking about the game uh, featured some vintage stuff, like old players uh, stepping up in crunch time. I know we are going to talk a lot about Ryan young today because Ryan young was like the key to the victory against Ohio State. Uh, yeah, and in fact, it wasn't just Ryan Young, but we're, we're spoiling my headline. It's time to get to our headlines. Folks, as you know, we, we always pick a headline for every game, and I will let Donald go first, and then Sam, then I'll give you mine, and I'll read some from the audience. Go ahead, Donald. So mine is Duke flips a buck over Ohio. I like it. little play on the uh, nicknames of the school. Sam, what you got? Uh, somewhat young and somewhat old. Duke beats Ohio State. I am somewhat on the same track. My headline is old men lead the way as Duke gets back on track. And and, and I thought we were mentioning Ryan Young. I'll talk more about this later when we get to the good. I thought that uh, Ryan Young, Jeremy Roach, and Jacob Grandison were the three guys to me that really led this team down the stretch in this game. Uh, Grandison was good early in the game as well. And uh, I, I just I love having the ability to turn to that kind of experience when you're in a close, exciting game like that. Let me give you guys a few of the many, many 
um, uh, headlines that we got from our listeners. Folks, as you know, we ask you to send us your headlines and your plays of the game. Uh, and we'll get to play the game later on. But the the headlines, you know, send it all to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. The first one I'm going to read you is from Nate Damon or Damon. I'm not sure. He said, devils dominate on the court while Dickie V dominates on the mic. He said he loved having Dickie V back in Cameron. First time since his cancer treatment that Dickie V has been there. And that was a really nice moment, I think, for everybody watching. Uh, Lee Maxson sent one in that I really like. He said, the buck stops here play on the Buckeyes nickname. And I, I thought that was a clever one. Uh, and Tom Wildermuth, Tom got the best one, in my opinion. He said, Buckeyes roasting on a lively fire. He thinks that this is a coming out party for Derek Lively. It was certainly his best offensive game, especially in the first half. And I like that Buckeyes roasting on a lively fire. Gentlemen. Oh, actually, wait, I forgot. I've got one more. Oh my gosh. This is my, tech it. Tom, I like yours. This is my favorite one. Will Kuntis says proctor proctor give me the news <laughs> I, I i did like that one i had seen that, that one was one. good I proctor, to proctor give me the news when, he said uh, we have a new point guard when we when we talk about Derek lively maybe we can transition to the good did they mention on the broadcast i believe this was last night was Derek lively's first non-dunk field goal points of the season oh i'm not sure about that you maybe had that he had two layups last night and the first one was was like a like his hand was as close to the rim as it could be without it being a dunk. And I, I turned to my friend and we were like, "Oh my god, did did Derek Lively have a layup? <laughs> did he not dunk the ball? And did it go, <laughs> did it go in the basket?" Yeah, the thing I noticed about Lively was he scored eleven points, and he didn't touch the ball outside of two feet from the basket. Like he, I literally, other than going to the free throw line, and by the way. He hit some free throws. About time he started hitting some free throws. Whole team did. Yeah. Oh, free throws is one of the good things in this game for sure. But Derek Lively scored 11 points, and every single time he touched the ball, he was like a foot from the basket, which makes it very easy for him. That said, I praise him for, for making himself available. I praise Duke for finding him uh, because, you know, that's that's an important thing to do. And it all came in the first half for Derek Lively. You know, in the second half, it really became the Ryan Young story. All right, guys, let's let's get to more of the good. And Donald, I'll go to you first. Tell me some of the other stuff that you saw that you really liked. So for me, let me talk quickly about the free throw shooting because we went to the line 30 times and we hit 26 free throws. Awesome. Like, we'll take that every day of the week. Our, our, our shooting percentage may still be kind of erratic and we've had some bad shooting nights lately. But hey, if we're making if we're making baskets at the free throw line i mean again 26 free points that we got based on driving the lane getting points also a lot of those coming off of band ones which uh is also appreciated that means guys are going hard to the lane finishing strong and getting the contact and getting the foul and then making the free throw so uh, i i really like that before we get to the the guys that we were talking about earlier some of the older guys i did want to mention a couple of quick ones one we had 26 bench points our bench came through very, very clutch, again, led by Ryan Young. We also had defense. We forced 16 turnovers. We had nine steals. That really contributed a lot of the offense, especially when we were kind of going back and forth with Ohio State in the first half. A lot of our defense can, you know, contributed to or triggered a lot of points, and that is eventually what had us take the lead. And then from there, it felt like with our defense, we never looked back. So those are two small things that I that I yeah, appreciate. Yeah, and – and Donald, on the defense, I, I wanted to mention, I you really noticed, I think, uh, around the middle of the first half, uh, about eight or nine minutes to go, that Duke turned up the defensive pressure. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it was something that we figured out about them or it was just a matter of getting the right combination of guys in the game. But from about the 8.30 or 9-minute mark to about the 3-minute mark, Ohio State went on a five-minute scoring drought where they only got two points. They'd had a lead, and by the time that, Scoring drought was over. And again, that scoring drought was was largely a product of Duke turning up the defensive pressure. The Blue Devils led by six, and we would lead by five the entire second half of this game. Uh, the, I also want to really quickly highlight the rebounding because this team struggled against Purdue. Rebounding has been one of their strengths all year. And we mentioned in the preview that Ohio State is a good rebounding team. Duke once again became the better rebounding team in this in this game. They they won the boards 34 to 31, including better than 40% of our offensive rebounding opportunities. We remain 
the best number one offensive rebounding team in the country at better than 42% of available rebounds being gathered by Duke. And Ryan Young, Duke's Ryan Young is the fourth best, according to Ken Pomeroy and his advanced statistics, the fourth best offensive rebounder among every single player in Division One. Ryan Young grabs all by himself better than 20% of the shots that Duke misses when he's in the game. Wow. Sam, talk me more about Ryan Young. So the reason that we needed Ryan Young to step up yesterday was, I don't know if it's a bad or if it's just an observation about this game, that the refs were calling it fairly tight. And so a lot of guys were in foul trouble. I mentioned that Ohio State had three players foul out. Both Filipowski and Lively ended the game with four fouls. And Flip got his fourth foul with like 13 minutes to go. When thing, Duke was Duke was in the lead, but but it was still a, a close game. And that could have been a, a deciding moment for Duke when uh, with, with those guys having to sit for long stretches. Ryan Young plays 22 minutes in this game. And like you said, Jason, he's he's gobbling up rebounds. I mean, he only he pulls down five rebounds, but he creates so much space on the on the glass for other guys to also get in and, and get points. Um, or or grab rebounds. And then on the offensive side, uh, there is both a like savvy scoring ability that Ryan Young displayed last night, a lot of uh, finishes using the backboard. Uh, and he also has become a, or is a very willing passer and had a couple of really nifty assists last night. Um, there was a, there was a nice backdoor entry that he fed uh Jalen Blake's for like an easy an easy bucket for Jalen Blake's that that came from a Ryan Young assist and so he was the he was the steady hand last night and you know if you want to mention the the other vet who really stepped up relative to his otherwise production this season Jason you you mentioned Jacob Grandison uh came in and had it wasn't his biggest scoring output I think in a Duke uniform to this point He, he scores 10 points but he looked about as fluid and and sort of in time with the rest of his teammates in in a way that we haven't seen yet. And and I we should have mentioned at the top, you know, Duke lost in its two neutral site games to to big opponents in the non-conference, Kansas, the two so far. They lost to Kansas, they lost to Purdue. They still have Iowa next week. We'll we'll and we'll talk about that. Duke beats Ohio State in their one other opportunity uh, or their one home opportunity for a big non-conference victory. And it's the vets that end up stepping up. And the cool storyline that I liked about this that I, I mentioned uh, to some folks last night is that, you know, both Grandison and Young played in the Big Ten for a few years there. So it's not like they were not used to to seeing these guys. And I'm sure that they were not feeling great after losing to Purdue and probably wanted to take a little bit of that out on the Buckeyes. You mentioned Jacob Grandison not having his biggest scoring output, but I think it was his best overall game so far this season. And I think all of these guys, right, that Ryan Young, you know, coming in and, and just providing a spark. And that's what we want our bench to do is provide a spark. They don't necessarily need to come in and score 47 points. They need to come in and, and change the outcome of the game or in the positive when they're on the floor. And I think all these guys did that, especially like you said, you mentioned two guys who are used to Big Ten teams coming in. They were able to really, you know keep this team rolling forward and as you said Jason the second half they didn't get within five points and even when they would go from 10 to 5 it didn't feel like this team was losing the grip on the game they had it in control the whole time and I think it was the the old the old heads that kind of led the way on that yeah so I want to play off of two things that you guys talked about the first one is hearkening back to Sam talking a little bit about the passing Duke ended up with 16 assists on 25 made baskets in this game. That's a 64% assist rate. That's a really, really good number. It's not like outrageously good, but it is good enough. And some of the passes I thought were absurd. When we get to the play of the game, I got a few different plays that I'm considering. Every one of them, every one of them involves some great passing on the part of the Duke team. And it's not just one guy doing it. It's a lot of different guys doing it. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, because we've talked about Ryan Young and Jacob Grandison, both of whom had great games, where we have not yet mentioned the other big veteran, which who is Jeremy Roach. And, you know, Jeremy Roach took over for Duke in this game, late in the game when we needed him to. And one of the things that Duke has got to find, we've talked about this, we've got to find alternative scores. We've got to find alternative guys so we can keep Jeremy Roach fresh and relaxed and ready 
to take over when we need him to. And and this game was one of the ones where we did need him to. And I thought he was really outstanding um, in the you know final 10 minutes or so of the second half. Guys, do we have any other good? Are we ready to move on to the bad? All right, let's do it. And I'm actually going to segue between the good and the bad with something that is technically neither good nor bad, but we must talk about for a minute. Donald, you alluded to this. I think it was Donald who alluded to it. Fouls and foul shots. We haven't had a game like this all year. There were 45 fouls called in this game and 52 free throws shot. I want to put that in perspective for everybody. In all of the Duke's other games this year, we've had between 30 and 35 fouls called. 45 called in this game. Basically, this game had 50% more fouls than any game so far this season for Duke. And it, the same thing with free throws. In all of our other games, the most free throws we've seen in any single game, we had 38 free throws taken in our games with with Xavier and Delaware. In this game, 52 free throws shot by both teams. So again, close to 50% more free throw attempts in this game than any other game this season. Randy Ayers was was working the game. And anytime you have a Randy Ayers game, you know- Roger Ayers? Ro Roger Ayers, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Anytime you have a Roger Ayers game, he wants to be the center of attention. And uh, it was, some of the fouls seemed a little bit ridiculous. The, the technical on Jeremy Roach was one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. It, what, it Jason, Jason, I couldn't tell uh, in the stadium exactly what he got called I, for. I can tell you exactly what he got yeah, called go for. So, so mind you, this is something that is called a technical at times, but I'm going to explain why this wasn't. What happened was on the foul, basically Jeremy Roach had the ball and the guy who was defending him kind of fouled him. So they call for the foul and Jeremy Roach in kind of one felt swoop kind of tossed the ball in the air, but he tossed it directly to the guy that fouled him. So the guy catches the ball right in front of the ref. And the ref sees the whole thing and calls a technical on it. The problem with that is that with that play, that is viewed as a taunting play. That's basically what they called it for was taunting. Usually you just can't throw the ball back in some dude's face like that. But there has to be intent. The problem was Jeremy Roach did not look when he tossed the ball. It wasn't like he looked right at the guy and said, yo, man, you just fouled me. Here you go. Because that would be taunting. He kind of turned away. And as he turned away, he kind of tossed the ball in the direction of where the where the referee was supposed to be walking to. But the referee didn't walk. And, and, and as a result, it ended up in the hands of the player that, that, caught, that fouled him. So I think the problem is with this rule is that the refs need to – look at intent and there was no intent there it wasn't like any words were exchanged between two players even the guy who caught it was kind of like oh i got the ball like wasn't it wasn't a you know he didn't view it as a as a, a malicious intent or anything like that so i think that's why this call was awful because in the end if the referee does his job and calls a foul and starts walking towards the bench that ball is is being caught by him as opposed to the player who had just fouled him it's a good thing it didn't end up making a difference. So uh, otherwise, I'd be a lot more steamed about it today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, guys. So let's get to some real bad stuff. And, uh, you know, Sam, I'll let you go ahead first. What, what what are the things that you saw that bothered you? I think the the offense in the first half and the defense in the second half were the were the concerns for me. In the first half, it felt like, I mean, this is maybe with an offensive uh, execution problem throughout the game, but just not a ton of creativity from Duke trying to get the ball inside way too many possessions where the clock, like the shot clock is ticking down for Duke before they get a shot off. I know that, look, they're, they're good at grabbing offensive rebounds. Um, even against a, an experienced big Ohio state team, Duke still brings a lot of size, but uh, the, the, the offensive execution, I feel like is just not crisp, you know, at, at any level right now for Duke. And there's a lot of room for improvement in the passing, uh, room for improvement in the shot making. Although last night, like last night, I felt like Duke shot the ball well and still didn't have an outstanding night from three. They had a good night from three. They didn't have an outstanding night from three. Derek Whitehead hit a three, which was extremely cool to see uh, that 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 got the crowd pretty fired up. But uh, I, I want to see better uh, three point shooting and I want to see better ball movement around the perimeter on the defensive side. I thought that Duke. Uh, both from a combination of of getting foul calls, uh, but also because I I just think they started to look tired in the second half, um, was letting Ohio State score a lot more than um, than I thought Ohio State should have been capable of, given again Duke's ability on 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 defense and and the way that they were able to switch 
So um, general comments, I, I, I didn't want to call out as many of the individual players on this one, because I do think on the whole uh, Duke's players actually played, you know, like, like individual games last night were good. I thought a lot of the team effort um, was not fully there. And it was, it was strange to me that they couldn't get um, that they, they, they couldn't all get on the same page, given that they were back in Cameron again after that big road trip. So uh, I'll say just really quickly, I'm going to disagree with you and I'm going to go ahead and call out some players individually because I think we need to be honest on this podcast and, and, you know, we shouldn't be sugarcoating things. Mark Mitchell was terrible in this game and we've seen, you know, I I think like three of the past four or four of the past five games for Mark Mitchell, he has really not been very good at all. I'm starting to notice that I think against teams that have sort of comparable athletes to him, when Mark Mitchell is playing against, guys who are inferior athletes, he's able to overwhelm them. He's so long. We've talked about this endlessly. He's long. He's athletic. He can jump. And I think that his skills overwhelm, his athleticism and skills overwhelm guys who can't sort of compete with him on a on a physical and athletic basis. But now that we're playing better and better teams, Mark Mitchell's facing guys who are comparable athletes. He was just playing bad last night. Uh, in fact, in a game that Duke wins – you know, by a reasonably comfortable margin, we, we spoke about the fact that it was never, there was never any possession pressure on Duke. It was never closer than a five point game, you know, in the second half last night, Mark Mitchell put up an, a minus four on plus minus. Now you don't want to get too into the weeds on plus minus, but there, there's a good reason Jacob Grandison played 25 minutes and Mark Mitchell only played 15. It's because Duke was just a way better team when Grandison was on the floor and Mitchell, especially in the second half was getting torched on defense. So I'm going to call him out. I'm also going to do a little calling out of some of the sloppy play early in the game. Duke had a ton of turnovers in like the first five, seven minutes or so of this of this game. Derek Lively fumbled a ball out of bounds, should have probably been a dunk. Mark Mitchell stepped out of bounds. You know, you're Cameron. You you know the floor. Guys, you can't be stepping out of bounds when you know the stadium the way you do. Kyle Filipowski just fell down one time and lost the ball. Jacob Grandison got stripped twice. I mean, as, as good as Jacob Grandison was in this whole game, I just thought we were very sloppy early on. Could you tell on the broadcast that uh, the the court was very damp last night for some reason? Like they weren't just. Oh having, no, you couldn't. No, they, you couldn't. They uh, there were the managers were out toweling off the court a lot more often than you normally see. They also had to towel off the ball a couple times. I don't know what was going on in there, but players were slipping around. There was one point where Jeremy Roach almost took what could have been a way worse tumble. Uh, and and injured his foot. It, it was actually kind of nerve wracking there, like right before a timeout. So yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, yeah. It was the the, the, the I, I don't know exactly what was wrong. I, I don't know if they addressed it in the post game, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of slipping around last night. I think that was happening to Ohio State too. But I agree with you, Jason. You gotta you gotta know your home floor. Uh, Sam, I'm really glad that you were there last night because that's context that Jason and I could not pick out from the TV because for me, I think my bad was the fact that in the first half, the guys felt like they were playing way too fast for what they want to do. And I get, they want to have an up-tempo game, but I was, you know, hanging with my best friends and we're talking, we're like, yo, this just seems out of control to the point where, you know, guys are, it felt like if you guys have been on a pickup basketball court and you know, it's about to get dark and people are just throwing up shots just to throw up shots. They're throwing length of the court passes just to get it, get quick possessions. That's what it felt like. It felt like it was kind of, it wasn't lazy. It was just very out of control and they needed to have a faster tempo while still being calm and collected, which is what I think they did a lot better as the half went on. But yeah, the the first, I think they had nine turnovers or something or seven turnovers in the first 10 minutes of the ball game. They calmed down after that. They only had six the rest of the way. But yeah, they need to. I know they want to go fast, and I get that that happens. And it's something that's natural. If you want to go faster, you try to trick your brain to going faster than you want yourself to go. And because of that, you end up doing things like throwing the ball out of bounds, like not remembering where you are on the court, you know, dribbling the ball and, and dribbling it out of control. But I do think, Sam, that context of the floor being damp also adds to that and maybe makes it less of a negative than we were going to have. But I do think you still need to figure out a way to play within control. Yeah, the the last thing I have on the bad is I was frustrated slash disappointed slash a little bit concerned 
and how easily Ohio State was able to get to the basket, especially in the second half. There was a long time of that second half where Duke and Ohio State were really trading baskets. And I feel like this Duke team, they've really, their, their bread and butter this year has been rebounding and defense. Ohio State put up 72 points. And Ohio State is not a super prolific offensive team. They're they're good. Make no mistake about it. They they are ranked in the top 25. They deserve to be. And this is the kind of team that you'd expect Duke to play in the Sweet 16. So, you know, not to disparage Ohio State at all, but I thought I thought Duke's defense, especially, you know, in the post, around the post with guys driving in the lane, was not what I what I really felt it could be. And by the way, Zed Key just uh, you know, I'm not sure if you guys noticed, he just did another spin move for an easy basket on one of the Duke big men. Man, he that that was that felt like that happened on like eight plays in a row. Can can we figure out how to maybe double team him or 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 not give up the spin move as much as we were? Guard big right? men. Guarding big men appears to be Duke's problem this week, which is is concerning uh, given Duke's size and and apparent defensive prowess on the inside this season. Uh, disappointing. I, I agree with you, Jason. That 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 you know, among the the sort of defensive lapses, that was one that was frustrating. They also, you mentioned that they got the ball to the basket. Ohio State also had a few wide open threes in the second half. And uh, the especially when... We, we were lucky. They missed a number of them, yeah. When when some of those plays would break down, I think that this is where Duke's youth it, is a challenge, is that they're not able to, you know, go after the ball and keep track of where the other guys are on the floor. There was one point last night, I believe, where where John Shire had all five of the of the freshmen in as the lineup, and 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 they were you know they're moving the ball around, and I was like, look, I appreciate that they're all individually talented. But I don't know if this is a lineup that you can run for a for a long period of time and expect the 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 you know you know forget the fact that there's there's amazing talent there. All those guys might be in the NBA very soon, but uh, did not have the focus that that Duke needed to get from any of the vets. I think the only issue that I have, you know, or at least concern I have thus far in the season with uh, how many times you Ohio State was trying to get to the basket is that it led to a lot of second chance opportunities. I know they beat us slightly on second chance points, and it was because I think in the second half they got a lot of second and third opportunities to put the ball in the basket. Now, like you said, Jason, they they missed a lot of them, but they did make some of them, and I think that's the concern is as we develop as a team especially the, the the freshman, you have to remember, you know, Derek Lively is probably not yet 100%. They mentioned on the broadcast that he's at like 90%. So we still haven't seen the full length of his ability. We still haven't seen the full length of Drake Whitehead's ability. And as these guys get more ingrained into the offense and as this team matures more, I think you'll start to see that dwindle. So I'm not yet concerned about it, but it is something to look out for, especially as we enter, you know, we have ACC season beginning on Saturday. Uh, As we get towards the meat of the ACC season, how does that continue to improve? That's what I want to see. Yeah. And I'll tell you from an uh, expectation standpoint, I mentioned this to some friends last night. I think that the current Duke team with Derek Whitehead, not even, uh, you know, a shadow of what we expect him to be with Derek Lively, you know, somewhat disappointing. And and we don't know how much of that is rust and missing practice and how much of that is maybe Derek Lively not living up to expectations. But the current Duke team that we're watching right now, I think is a top 25 ball club. I think it's not a top 10 team. It's not a team that is going to, be a serious contender for the final four or a serious contender to win the ACC. But if Whitehead is even close to what we expect him to be, if Lively gets that extra 10% or so back that he's been missing, that elevates these guys perhaps significantly. And, and so the ceiling is still absolutely out there for this team to bring home trophies at the end of the season. Guys, anything else in the bat or should we head right to the play of the game? Let's go to the play of the game. Donald. You've been missing for a couple of weeks. You are up, sir. What was your favorite play? Uh, I, I don't remember who passed to who, who passed to who, but it ended with a Derek Lively dunk, and I thought just the passing on one play. I think it started from a flip uh, steal at midcourt, and I believe it was to uh, a, it was a Jalen Blakes or, or Jeremy Roach who then dimed it off to uh, uh, Derek Lively for the dunk. That was my play of the game. That was one of my nominees, and I'll give you the, it was Grandison who knocked it away. Ohio Thank State you, kind Grandison. of recovered. And then Jalen Blake's got another steal and it ended. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. No, I'm thinking of the one that ended with the, the whitehead three from the corner. That was the whitehead three. Um, yep. Yeah. Also yeah, yeah. good. Also good. One. Yes. 
Yes. All right, Sam, what's, what's your play of the game? I know a couple listeners mentioned this one to us, but I had the Ryan Young rebound uh, at the end of the game. Oh, Duke what was, a play. Duke was – so, look, as you mentioned, Jason, it's not like this, this became a one-possession game. I wouldn't specifically call these crunch time minutes, but uh, Duke had the ball up like six or so points with about two minutes left and then managed to hang on to the ball through a series of offensive rebounds for like a minute and 20 straight. And the I think the the most impressive play during that was Ryan Young going like fully horizontal to to snag an offensive rebound. He was it was like he was in the Matrix or something. And uh, and I, I loved that hustle from him. Duke was you know trying to close it out. Like I said, it didn't get it didn't get that close, but it felt like this was the team saying, all right, we're going to we're going to put the clamps on and, and, and we're going to beat this team. So I had for my favorite play, I had a, a a couple different nominees, so to speak, that were that were just showing off Duke's sublime passing. I was sorely tempted to take. There was a little stretch where uh, Jeremy Roach had in the first half, where Jeremy Roach had two really really nice passes to Derek Lively for for basket for easy buckets by by Lively, including one where Lively displayed like absolutely ridiculous body control to catch it and and put it in. It was great stuff. But the play I ended up picking, it was a six-point game in the second half. And Tyrese Proctor found himself isolated on Zed Key. And Tyrese knew, I'm going to be able to get this guy and get around him, and we're going to create something here. He went around Zed Key, and the help defense came. And Tyrese Proctor dropped as nice a pocket pass as you will see to Ryan Young for a super easy layup. It was gorgeous play, and it's that kind of thing that, as some people say, maybe Tyrese Proctor needs to be this team's point guard. There was a lot of great passing in this game. I thought that was the absolute best one, and so that was my favorite play. All great plays. Yes, yes. All right, gentlemen, we're going to take a break. When we come back, talk a little bit about the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and we will look ahead to the start of ACC play. Blue Devils taking on Boston College this weekend. All right, we're back from the break. And before we get to our preview of the next game, I just want to reflect back very briefly on the end of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. The ACC wins the challenge in its final year by a score of 8-6. to six. The ACC had not won the ACC Big Ten Challenge since 2017. Did you guys know that? Most of the expectations were that we were going to win like maybe four or five games this year. I think the conference did a great job to get eight wins, to win at 8-6 to six this year. It means that the ACC's lifetime record over the course of the uh, sorry, 24 years, I believe it is. Yes, the 24 years that the ACC Big Ten Challenge existed. The ACC won it 13 times. They lost it eight times, and it was tied seven, uh, three times. Sorry, 13, eight, and three record for the ACC in this event. And gentlemen, I think you know the answer to this question. Who is the team that had the best record of any team in the history of the ACC Big Ten Challenge? It I was the Duke it- Blue Devils. They yeah, didn't it didn't it take them like 15 years to lose a game in this thing? Oh, something yes. crazy like that. Yeah. I, also, they're the is, only team. Our, go ahead. Go I was ahead. Say, our, our record is 20 and four. The next closest Wake Forest was 14 and six, six games back of Duke. And Virginia went 14 and eight. But I mean, if you look at it over the like Duke is so far and away the most successful team in the challenge. It is not even close. And, uh, you know, I don't want to obsess about UNC, but. Carolina lost to Indiana, and as a result of that, it means that over the lifetime of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, UNC was 11-13. and 13. Mm, What a shame. Um, I was going to mention, <laughs> I know you guys briefly talked about us having the comp, basically the challenge move to the SEC uh, starting next season. I will say that I'm actually very intrigued about that because when you think about the, AC, the ACC Big Ten Challenge, Everyone's like, oh, well, you know, there's 14 teams in the conference. Like, every team's going to play each team. That's never how it worked, right? We always played the the big teams, the best teams. I think we ended up playing maybe six or seven uh, different teams in the Big Ten. So when you think about the SEC, you're thinking about, you know, Kentucky, obviously. But, like, obviously you could have Tennessee. You could have maybe Florida if they get good. Texas is entering the SEC, so we'll see. You're going to see us go to Texas. Dude, we did all this. Where you been, man? I know you did. I know you did. But I have to get my two cents in, too. Um, 
but I'm interested in like who those other rotation of teams are going to be, right? Like the Arkansas, the Alabamas, the Auburns that are good on occasion, but not like consistently good. I'm interested to see how that's going to work from a Duke perspective and who we end up seeing, or if they're going to try and spread this out, you know, as we move along, because obviously they're looking for the big matchups. They can't put Duke in Kentucky every single year. I was going to say, I think they're going to do Duke and Kentucky every year that Duke doesn't play Kentucky in the Champions Classic. They're just... <laughs> no, nah, they're, they're not. They want more variety than that. And and the other thing is, Duke draws ratings, Kentucky draws ratings. They want to spread those ratings out Spread a those bit. ratings out, yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys, I got two other really quirky little facts for you. Do you know the only Big Ten team, there's only one Big Ten team that had a winning record in the challenge? Do you know who it is? The Purdue Boilermakers, 13-9. and mm-hmm. Purdue went 13-9 and in the challenge. And I got another good one for you. What a weird quirk this is. Maryland, as a member of the ACC, 10 and 5 in the challenge. That's a good record. Two thirds of their game. They're 10 and 5 in the challenge as a member of the ACC. As a member of the Big Ten, Maryland was just 2 and 7. It's like they literally they went from winning a lot as an ACC team to losing a lot. They embraced they embraced their role in the, in the Big Ten. It's, Amen. It's what, what a shame. What don't a, don't look now. Maryland Maryland might be good. Uh, but we don't have to talk about them on this show. No, that is the extent of our conversation about Maryland. Gentlemen, let's get to the Boston College game. That's who Duke has this weekend as we begin the ACC slate. It kind of begin it. We begin it in December. We take a break from it, then we'll be back to it again later on. But it's a big game. Getting getting that first win in the ACC matters a lot. Donald, I will come to you first because by tradition, you tell us what Boston College has done thus far this year. Talk to me about who they've played and who they've beaten and who they've lost to. Yeah, so they are five and three right now on the season. Uh, the two teams in the top 100 that they have beaten so far are two teams that you out there probably haven't traditionally thought of as top 100 teams. That would be Cornell and the University of Detroit Mercy. Shout out, shout out UDM. Uh, those are the only two teams. When you say the top 100, 100, what do you mean by that? Those teams are not in the top one. What do you mean? Those teams mean? are terrible. They're Wait, not in the top on. 100. Oh, no. you know what? I was looking at a different category. They are not. <laughs> that was the that was that was their rank when they played. I'm sorry, that was Boston College's rank when they played those teams. Yeah. That's well, no, my Detroit bad. Detroit Mercy are not good teams. No, no, yeah. This no, is, they have okay. You know what? I'm gonna give I'm gonna give UDM some love. They're decent. Not no, terrible. They're not decent at what? They're not, <laughs> they're not a top decent at being team. terrible. Can they be decent being terrible? Can they do nope. that? No. no, okay. All right, they're just terrible teams. Um, but here's the deal. The team Wait, that they do you have start lost over to, with this, or do you want to keep going? No, I'm just going to keep going. Um, okay, keep going. The, team, the teams they have lost to are, are teams that I think aren't that great. All right, Maine, Tarleton State, who has recently just joined Division One in basketball and football, and Nebraska in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They beat. They lost to Nebraska on the road, and let me tell you, Nebraska ball. I have to watch a lot of Nebraska ball because of the soccer that I deal with. All of my friends are from Nebraska. Let me tell you, watching them is a challenge and having them beat a team at basketball is even bigger of a challenge. So uh, that is not good. Nebraska beat them by 21. Like this wasn't even competitive. And Maine, you mentioned Maine, Boston college lost to Maine. Maine is ranked in Ken Pomeroy 307th. You cannot, if you are a power five team, you cannot lose a game to a team ranked in the three hundreds. Wow. That's just bad. Unfortunately, you know, we've talked about the non-conference plight that that the ACC has gone through other than the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We see a lot of these teams that uh, ACC teams have lost to. We're going to talk about some of these teams throughout the course of the season. But I will say this for Duke, from Duke's perspective, this is the first game of the ACC season is at home. I know it's that quirky one that we kind of have every other year where it's in December and then we have more non-conference games to talk about. So we need to get off on the right foot immediately. This is not a team that we should let hang into the game. Just get out there, take care of business on Saturday and get out of there so we can get to the reading period and, and get to the other you know games. I know we have Iowa looming. This should not be a trap game for us. Take care of business, blow them off the court, and let's get to the to the rest of the non-conference schedule. Donald, I, I feel like you you totally blew through the lead on this one. They lost to Tarleton State, which is a school I had not heard of, let alone knew was in Division One. Because as you said, they've only been in Division One for like three years. Yes, that's and they that's, and they're based in Texas. That's Shout Tarleton out. State. They're based in Stephenville, Texas. Their mm-hmm. head okay. coach 
is, oh, wait, I had no idea where they were based. I, I just want to point out if you lose to a team that I have no idea where they're from, like you could have told me they were in Maine, you could have told me they were in Arizona. It wouldn't matter. I would have no idea where Tarleton State is. That's a bad loss. I mean, I knew where they were from because I, I, you know, lived down there. My my dad still lives down in that area. Not, I that mean, it's kind count. of just west that of. Doesn't count. It, but it mean, does it count because like, I knew where they're from. <laughs> Again, Tarleton, I knew was a state, and we have a lot of states out there that aren't like linked with an actual state in the union. But Sam, I know you're going to say something else. Go ahead. Well, I was also going to, well, I guess two thoughts then. Did you know that their head coach is Billy Gillespie? Like, yes. Come on. Coach. Yes. <laughs> Come on, That's really? how I knew that this team, I mean, he took over. He basically brought the program to D1. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's wow. low-key Rick Pitino right now. And the other thing I was going to say, Donald, is that this is like a couple of years ago when UMBC beat UVA in the tournament. And having grown up in Maryland, I was familiar with UMBC because it's like, a place that people from my high school went to college because it was like, I think it's like the second best state school in Maryland. So if you weren't going to College Park, you might be going to UMBC. Uh, and then all of a sudden, everyone knew about UMBC. Yep. Uh, Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast, right? Like no one knew no one knew Florida had a Gulf Coast university until they blew the pants off of, was it Georgetown in the uh, yeah, the, uh, until Andy came along. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, let's get back to Boston College for a moment. We're not talking about Tarleton State and UMBC and and, and Dunk City. Uh, I, I want to tell you about their Ken Pomeroy rating. BC is rated number 24. I'm sorry, 124. 124 by Ken Pomeroy. Uh, that would ordinarily be among the worst, easily among the worst in the ACC. But thanks to Louisville and Florida State, BC is almost a middle-of-the-pack ACC team this year. <laughs> they are way better on defense than they are on offense, Boston colleges. They have barely a top 200 offense, which is just awful. They don't shoot well from three. They hit like 29% of their three-pointers. They don't shoot well from two. They only hit 47% of their two-point shots. They're not even hitting 70% of their free throws. They give up a lot of steals. They're among the bottom 20 teams in the land at taking three-pointers. Now, I said they don't hit their three-pointers very much, but they don't even like to take three-pointers. And frankly, three-pointers are typically a pretty efficient shot to take. So this is just a team that is – there's literally nothing that they do well on offense. On defense, they're a good shot-blocking team. Among the top 25 shot-blocking teams in the country, they do a fairly decent job of forcing turnovers. They're not bad at defensive rebounding. you know. So they got that going for them, but – Man, I mean, if Duke, it will take Duke having another one of these games where we're like two of 25 from three-point range for this to be competitive. Ken Pomeroy expects Duke to win by 15 points, 73 to 58. I'm going to be honest with you. If if Duke only beats BC by 15 points, I'll be surprised and I'll be a little bit disappointed. All right, Sam, tell me the players we need to look out for. Well, and and that's the game that is at home for the Blue Devils, right? And they get to just be at home this whole week. They got a game already to get back to used to playing in Cameron. I agree with you, Jason. I, I think that it it needs to be uh, I, it needs to be more than fifteen for for Duke to feel like uh, that this one really went their way. So a couple guys on Boston College that you've heard of because uh, this BC team does return some core key players: Makai Ashton Langford and TJ Bickerstaff are returning players for BC. They've been very productive for the Eagles in the past, and they are still out there for this team. So Bickerstaff uh, is is sort of the key big for them. Uh, one of the one of the better rebounders, uh, best rebounder on this team, and and uh, a pretty good rebounder nationally, and and of course the grandson of Bernie Bickerstaff. So uh, obviously comes from from basketball family. Makai Ashton Langford is their is their electric point guard. Uh, he's a senior now. Been with them for a couple of years. And uh, is is sort of the the dominant ball handler, both as a shooter and as a distributor for this Boston College team. He's also a pretty damn good defender. Uh, Duke fans may remember that Makai Ashton Langford is a is a pretty pesky defender on the perimeter. So uh, will be a a fun matchup for for Jeremy Roach. I'm sure at times will be a fun matchup for Jalen Blakes, who uh, continues to get tough defensive assignments to. Uh, you know, to to sort of help alleviate the load. So those are the two main guys that they're they're freshmen. Uh, or sorry, they don't have um they don't have any freshmen that are sort of standouts here. Uh, they have one other guy that I that I thought was sort of interesting in in C J Pena. Um, 
this is a he's he's new to Boston College um, and uh, is is, you know, kind of an efficient scorer for them uh, is, is a new addition. So uh, not much else on the on the player front. As, as you noted, this is not a, a super talented team. So uh, I, I like O'Jason that that I hope that uh, Duke wins this one going away. This is also on Saturday, uh, hopefully after the United States has has uh, moved on to the round of eight in the in the World Cup. That would be nice. That would be very nice. All right, gentlemen, that's going to do it for us here on DBR Podcast, episode 464. Blue Devils take down Ohio State. We look ahead to BC. We will have a recap of that game and a look ahead to the Iowa game later on this weekend. Until then, for Donald, for Sam, I am Jason. This is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. Hey, wait, Donald, I wanted to ask you, did mm-hmm. you see Zion Williamson's dunk in that game last night? No. What happened? Uh-oh. Oh. Nah, don't say oh. that. Don't say that. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just pasted into the chat. I want you to click on that link. Wait until this you YouTube see. YouTube link? Yeah. Wait okay. until you see what my man did. Okay. He's... You, you get to watch this live. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fire it up right now. Say no say say nothing else. Yep, you go. Uh, Auto play. Yeah, yeah, ads, ads, ads. Hang on. Right. You're gonna see, like hang on. <laughs> you walked away. You made an ugly face and walked away. What the what the fuck? <laughs> hang on. Hang on. That is sick. Sick. He's double teamed. He do goes that? around. Oh, there's he more. Go- you just buried the lead. There's more ducks to this thing. Oh, yeah. He, oh, he had, oh, it's just the whole. Oh, my yeah. goodness. No, but that one, to me, like in the NBA, when you're double teamed, getting out of the double team is not easy. He gets mm-hmm. out of the double team and then double clutch just ruined some dude at the basket that's that's vintage that's vintage when he was here at duke like yeah where like two dudes come up and he just kind of looked at him like eh, cool and then he just goes around him and just does some ridiculous dunk over him. like that's that's exactly what i was hoping to see from him coming back from this injury like looks like he's right. 33 and 10 yeah yeah it, he the same way it was in college, he looks like he's playing against inferior athletes mm-hmm. who really don't have a prayer of stopping him. Right, but these are NBA athletes where he's just like right, exactly. <laughs> but these are the best athletes in the yeah. world, and he still and they still look inferior to him. It's crazy. Double, double team, that's cute. Nice. Yeah. Watch this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>